Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Sorry for taking a little bit of time off last week. Things got away from me schedule-wise. Like I said, this is the busy season of work for me, so things can get sporadic, unpredictable, etc., etc. We are back on a Monday talking about random stuff again. I mean, we're talking about what the culture's talking about, I guess, what society's talking about. We're talking about Squid Game today. Um... So get ready for that and how much basically Chase and I did not like it. And then we're closing it out with a pretty long story from Chase's mission that is very, very creepy. It's about as creepy as it gets. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to document it for one because it's the original story of Chase's that happened to him on his mission. And I've heard this story for years, but it's nice to kind of get it recorded, get it out there. From there... Oh, also, what I wanted, the reason why I wanted to do that was mainly because it's, you know, Halloween's coming up and it's a fun time of the year, kind of. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like Halloween. I understand that, I guess, but I kind of do like it, whatever. I don't really like dressing up a whole lot, but I do like kind of the season, the fall weather, the changing of the leaves, the, the, the weather getting from, like, pretty hot to temperate to then windy, cold, rainy, all that stuff. I kind of like those transitions. I don't know. Call me crazy. Maybe I am. It's, that's very possible. But before we kind of get going today, before we get into the meat of the podcast, I just want to throw something out there. My my nephew got off his mission. He came home. He had his homecoming, uh, and I went to that, and he did a great job. He came from, uh, finished the Houston South mission, and he actually said some things in his talk that got me kind of thinking and got me kind of writing some stuff down, so I want to share that a little bit. Now, Part of the problem is with a lot of times when I'm taking notes, I'm not really like I don't really have like these definitive answers or explanations or anything. Sometimes I'm just asking questions. So I don't know. That's kind of one of these moments. But in his talk, my nephew mentioned kind of like we we need to like in order to maintain a connection with the spirit with God, we need to have the desire to repent. At first, he said it first starts with the desire. I think he's talking about. Repentance first starts with a desire, but that got me wondering, well, where does this, where does the desire come from? You know, like what, what precedes desire? Because a lot of times that's what gets people lost. They don't, they just don't have the desire. It's just not there. And maybe that's an easy question to answer for a lot of you, but it wasn't for me. I was kind of thinking like, you know, if I didn't have the desire to repent, what would help kick me into gear? What can do that? And so started kind of brainstorming a little bit and I was kind of writing some stuff down and I was writing down like we're often we're looking for catalysts to point us towards repentance you know or or I guess we're necessitating that in order to make a change to be repentant it's like this catalyst needs to take place but what makes a catalyst a lot of times that catalyst can be simply being caught in sin right and by that I mean maybe you've affected someone else directly with your sin maybe you've been exposed and you can take that as an opportunity to repent and change Embracing the desire that was motivated by an external actor being compelled, so to speak, right? I think that's uh, that's in Alma 31, where he says, blessed are they who are not compelled, or who, but those who are compelled are also blessed, and it's just like even those that aren't compelled, even more so are they blessed. But how do we compel ourselves to repentance? I think the answer is probably faith. I think that's kind of obvious. But where does a desire from anything come from, I guess, is the real question, right? Is it belief in a better outcome? Is it faith that your actions will now be compounded later and have a more positive outcome than what is currently being represented in your life? Sometimes this can 
be explored with the simple question, what do you want out of life? Those are some thoughts I had as I was kind of exploring that idea. Where does the desire to repent come from? And sometimes it can be an external force. I think oftentimes it is. I don't think that makes it worse, so to speak. But I think the scriptures tell us, and they make it fairly clear, that it is better if you're able to kind of motivate yourself and compel yourself to repent. So how do we do that? And I think it's kind of, you know, daily identification with what we really want out of life, who we are and what we're, what we're pulling for, what we want, and who the type of people we want to be and what we have faith in. Anyway, just some thoughts I wanted to throw out there. Hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you're going to have a fun little last week of uh, October, gearing up for Halloween here at the end of the week. Um, I wonder if anybody has any thoughts on that. Please, by all means, write in. Give me something. I'd love to. I'd love to hear what you might think about that. But until then, y'all have a good one. We will definitely have a podcast coming later this week. Um, trying really hard to get a good friend of mine to come on and share another scary story that he has. That it's a different friend, and it's it's a really interesting kind of kind of crazy crazy story. But that, among other things, that I want to talk about on the Thursday before Halloween weekend. Anyway. Love y'all. Have a good one. And I'll catch you later this week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not Most drinking. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right. On today's very special episode (laughs) of the podcast, we're doing something that hopefully has never been done before. Recording the podcast from a hot tub. That's right. Ain't that right. (laughs) You can feel the hot steam coming off the luxurious water. Yeah, they can probably hear it. In our voices that we are in a hot tub. We and sound... how relaxed we are. Yeah, absolutely. We don't really want to do a big post-BYU recap. There's not much to say. This is one of those times where I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that it's not just a BYU podcast or BYU sports podcast because, in fact, I'm really glad for a lot of reasons. But this is one of those that's just very apparent because, like, I don't, what do you have to say about this game? There's not much to say. Like, BYU barely beats Washington State and doesn't really look good doing it except for a couple things. But Yeah, I mean, the only, the only takeaway from the game really is that uh, Tyler Algier is probably the best player on the team and uh, we still have a quarterback controversy. Yeah, you're kind of more all in on the Baylor-Romney camp now. I'm getting there. I still love Jaron Hall, but I, I'm starting to – I think I'm shifting towards Baylor-Romney. I'm probably like 55% Romney, 45% Hall. Yeah, I still really like Jaron Hall too. Yeah. I really do, but like – it seems like something's not clicking very well in the offense. It just seems like it. Yeah, ever since Romney came out, the offense has kind of sputtered. So you wonder if that's a competition thing or if that's just a Romney just runs the offense better. Yeah, you wonder. 
anyway, Tyler Algier is amazing. We just we just found out today that he is averaging over 100 yards a game. That's That doesn't happen a whole lot for BYU running backs, I feel like. And when it does, they tend to have a chance in the pros, so... It's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, last quarter, the last running back to do that, I, I had to have been Jamal, obviously. Yeah. I don't know the actual numbers there, but Algiers putting up Jamal-esque numbers against arguably somewhat of a tougher schedule. I don't know. Probably about the same top to bottom. Comparable. Down to yeah. It. yeah, it's very comparable, both independent schedules. But anyway, so that's why I actually make the argument that uh, Jamal was a better running back than Harvey Younga. Have we ever had that debate before? I think at this point, given – I mean, I know you're not supposed to – you should just compare their college careers, but Jamal's career in the NFL pretty much speaks for itself. I mean, he's never been like a star player, but he's been able to be a pretty solid, productive player wherever he's been and been in the league for four or five, six years now. So yeah, that kind of speaks for itself. No other BYU running back in recent memory has ever done that. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and you know, if he doesn't turn into a Utah fan – uh, later on in his career that he is the best running back of all time at BYU. You could probably say that at this point. I think Luke Staley at the time, and, you know, he won the Doak Walker, but... I, that was the argument we've had yeah, before. We've had yeah. the, that debate where I always was in the Jamal camp that he was better than Luke Staley. Yeah, and the problem is, is it's hard for me to compare. But you didn't. Because... You, you, you've you made the case that Staley was better. I'm like, I don't think so, man. Yeah, it's hard for me to say because 2001 was like my very... I was very young in my BYU fandom at the time, like I had recently moved here from Seattle, I wasn't really a, a following BYU closely out there, so I, I don't think I have the scope of when I watch Luke Staley compared to watching the other guys down the road. So I, it's hard for me to say. Excuses, excuses, yeah. dude. Whatever. Anyway, that debate has ended, and I won that one. Jamal is better than Luke Staley. That's fair. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. I feel like the reason why you're you're willing to concede that one so easily is just because Luke Staley is like a Utah fan now, and yeah, he's kind of weird. And he, they've brought him on to like BYU shows since then, and he just kind of acts weird. I don't know. If he, <laughs> I don't know if he's just a weird guy or if he has some animus against BYU. Or I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he did. But anyway, this hot tub feels great. Let's get on to the next segment, which is something you and I you and I have wanted to talk about for a bit now, which is this popular Squid Game. <laughs> Which neither of us like. I mean, spoiler alert, we're going to kind of come on and critique it because, oh, and yeah, spoiler alert. Like, if you haven't seen Squid Game, I'm not holding back. I'm going to talk about all sorts of spoilers. I'm not going to hold anything back. If you haven't seen it by now, I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's only been out a month or so, but it's not that great. Would you even tell somebody it's worth watching? If someone was really bored and they, they were, like, homesick with COVID or something and needed something to binge... I would say go ahead and watch it. Just watch it without like high artistic expectations of it, like wowing you. But well, it, the artistic is actually the one place where they did well. I felt like. Well, I guess just Their like, set design was pretty impressive. It's just like I, I don't feel like it was good, but I felt like it was entertaining to watch. Yeah, it was entertaining. It's bingeable. Like I'll give you that, yeah. and you do kind of get sucked in where you're like, huh? I wonder where they're going to take this, but not from a side that's like you're. In, I was never invested in it. I was never like, oh my gosh, I can't, I, I can't wait to know what they're going to do with this guy or that girl or whatever. It was more just kind of like, I'm curious what direction the show thinks they can go. That's really what my perspective was. I was just like, what what are they trying to do here? And I I don't know. I, my main problem I had from the get-go watching this show was that the protagonist is not somebody we're cheering for. Which that kind of seems to be a theme with these Korean shows because 
you had a uh, parasite was kind of the same thing where by the end of the movie you're not really sure who you're rooting for because everyone kind of sucks in the movie maybe that's i don't know if that's a cultural thing i've never been to korea i don't know a lot of korean people but it does seem at least in the two korean films i've seen or korean productions i've seen that is a common denominator um but it's one of those shows you have to watch because this has only happened with netflix maybe twice before where something just gets this big you had bird box which was a joke i never actually watched that one that's what's funny and and then you also had uh, Tiger King, and that was basically a product of Never the, watched the, that one either. of COVID being like everyone in quarantine, so everyone turned on the documentary and whatever. But this is really the third time in my memory this has happened, like something this big and this viral. Where it became happened. such a big part yeah. of our culture and kind of alters the lexicon, so to speak. A yeah, maybe bit. yeah, and like it's kind of one of those things if you want to be able to talk about things in circles, then this is a this is a good show to watch just to be well versed in it, I guess, in the culture. Yeah, I hate that that becomes a requirement sometimes, but it's a fair argument. I just, I only, no joke, I watch it because I'm kind of busy with work stuff these days, and it's kind of like, I'll just put it on in the background, which is another reason I had to dub it. A lot of people were like, not watch it with the subtitles, and it's like, yeah, but I'm not that invested in this show to actually sit down and watch it. Like, I want to, if I have a break, I want to be on my phone, or if I got to work, like, something to work on, I'll just have it in, on in the background so I can just listen to it here and there. And maybe that's why I didn't like it. Maybe I didn't give it a fair shake. I don't think that was the case because my ultimate problem was, like I said, from minute one, I'm supposed to root for this guy that doesn't even have a great relationship with his daughter. For all intents and purposes, he's a terrible father. He's a terrible ex-husband. And he's an even worse son. He openly steals money from his mom trying to sort of provide for his daughter. And even make – there's a line in there at some point when he he's trying to take money from his mom's account and he puts in his birthday because that's the code and it doesn't work. And his and his friend he has like a third try there and they're like, Hey, you're gonna get booted if you don't get it on this one. So his so he like thinks, 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 and he puts in his daughter's birthday and it works. And he's like, Oh my gosh, my own mom loves my daughter more than I do, or something along those lines. And I'm like, What a terrible person. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to cheer for this guy? And obviously, like, it's kind of like it's it's it, it's people that are down and out on their luck, it's people that have made generally speaking probably bad life decisions that i'll find themselves in this so to speak squid game that they call it which is this they get they all get kind of recruited or an opportunity to compete for a huge sum of money that'll not only get them out of debt but change their lives forever um it actually calculated because i wanted to know what the conversion was to dollars and it ended up being like 34 million dollars is like what the pot was 34 million yeah that's it yeah that's it it wasn't like it wasn't like a like a mega millions type of thing like the like are the you lottery. sure yeah yeah that's what i did the conver- I, maybe i did my math wrong but i'm pretty sure that's what it was i can it's only like imagine how many people were googling the currency exchange rate oh yeah i know it's like the first from one to dollar it is like when you, you know sometimes google will predict what you're doing uh, like I, I started typing it and immediately that came up so i'm pretty sure other people were thinking about it too yeah that and what what, what else pops up in your google search history like things like handsome women and stuff like that yeah, definitely. That's, that's, that's number two. Yeah. But it also it also bothered me. They called the show Squid Game, and like it was all culminating to this thing where they played the, the Squid Game at the end. But that was kind of like a the Squid Game was like impossible to understand. The yeah. actual Squid Game itself. They tried to explain it at the beginning, and then it wasn't relevant again until the very end. And then at the end, it really didn't matter that much. No, it the, didn't. They didn't even the really two, play it. The two guys were just kind of fighting. They just and fought. They, yeah, they're like, oh, we'll just kill each other with it's, knives. It's like basically whoever gets pushed out of the square or the squid or whatever. Yeah loses yeah it became like the wild west and somewhere in there the guy had this um 
he had the, like I don't know like along the way he like started to develop this not to say that he was an immoral person but he couldn't have been the most moral considering that he would steal money from his mother and then gamble it yeah um and then he owed a lot of money and he'd try to avoid the people he owed money to so I can't imagine he was the like he was not he was not the what's the what's the word I'm looking for not like the representative of morality by any means but um also like even though they tried to present him like a character that had this arc at the end of the day, like I don't really know what changed about him from beginning of the show to the end of the show. Like there wasn't like any like lessons he learned or anything. He just kind of, they just tried to turn him into like this more enlightened individual with pink hair at the end of at the end. That's of the show. a good point too. Yeah. And then he ended up giving his, all his money away basically. But then here's the biggest spoiler. I actually feel like the biggest hole and this is the big reveal of the show and this is where it's like if you've been following to this point and you really don't want to know the outcome then maybe skip ahead a little bit like a couple minutes but there's this old man in the squid game who's like he just like can barely function essentially not fun i mean he's fine mentally for the most part but he even says like his doctor says for him to avoid getting dementia he has to like count things and stuff like that well he kind of buddies up with this guy from the beginning sort of and there is a part where the old man becomes the, the okay sorry i'm kind of all over the place here but after their first game when they see that people that for doing the wrong thing they play red light green light and that people are actually getting killed that's the consequence of playing in these games if you lose you die after they play that there's this big rebellion and part of the rules apparently for to be in the squid games is that it has to be a majority that wants to play and so they end up voting and it comes down to the wire. It's 50-50, and there's one more vote, and it's this old man, and this old man votes not to play. That becomes a little bit interesting later because you end up finding out that the old man himself is essentially the head honcho of the Squid Games, and he was just participating in it for whatever reason because they were childhood games that he loved. Um, the only reason this protagonist, so to speak, makes it to the end is because the old man loses a marbles game head-to-head on purpose. But the fact that that the protagonist made the old man his partner was because he, like, they were all partnering up with people that they thought would be like a good teammate, and nobody wanted to pick the old man. And the protagonist was like, "I'll pick him because I feel bad for him, and we'll try and see what we can do together." They have no idea what the game is when they pick partners, and then they get into the next room, and it's marbles, and it's you against your partner, and so one of you is going to die. And the old man essentially loses the game on purpose, and even pretends to have dementia during it. And the protagonist, once again, cheats when he realizes that the old man doesn't even know what he's doing. So he starts cheating and lying to him and telling him that the old man is actually losing when in reality he's actually winning at marbles. And then they do something at the very end and make it so... Like, ultimately, the old man just gives up and the protagonist leaves and then they shoot the old man, so to speak. But they don't really shoot him because then it's revealed at the very end in the last episode that that old man was the one running the games. He was the one, like, funding everything. And the biggest plot hole, I think, was when they were on a team and they played tug-of-war. And the team that had the old man was with the male protagonist as well. They also had, like, three women on their team. And they played against another team with all men. And they apparently had some, like, nice strategy going into tug-of-war, which actually seemed kind of legit, I'll be honest. Yeah. A-hole dogs in the background. Some wild animals out by the hot tub right now. Yeah, we're out in the jungle. Anyway, 
So the strategy actually seemed like it could work. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about the tug of war strategy? Well, and I think maybe that's like that kind of is a loop around your plot hole is that this old man was so confident in his tug of war strategy that he knew. He but was they almost win. lost. They did almost lose. I mean, maybe he likes to play on the edge a little bit. But what if they would have lost? Like, if they would have lost, the old man would have just died and he would have never even seen the outcome of the game. Like, I don't think that was the plan ever, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he had his little triangle, circle, square guys. He was, they were going to shoot the other team if he was going to lose. Yeah, that wouldn't reveal any, like, shenanigans going on well, with the just, games. They just kill everyone and the show's over at that point. <laughs> but no, well, one of the things, I mean, changing course a little bit. With that, real quick, though, back to the tug of war scene. That was probably the coolest scene, actually. I yeah. thought I thought the tug of war scene was like the most where I was like, I'm not, my eyes are not leaving the screen. Like I have got to see how this plays out. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, and some of the games were pretty lame. Like I thought the whole thing where they cut out the shapes that was drawn out too much. It wasn't that exciting. And then the uh, the marbles game wasn't that fun. Anyway, I, th- I thought a lot of it was just drawing the show out for no real good reason. Uh, but one of the reasons I think this show became viral is probably, in my opinion, the main reason it became viral. They took a page out of Star Wars book where it's all about the costumes. And Star Wars, like, if you imagine Star Wars minus Darth Vader's costume or minus the stormtroopers, I don't think it ever becomes a cultural phenomenon. If, like, Darth Vader was just a guy or if the stormtroopers were just a bunch of guys, I, I, I think it never catches on the way it did, and I think Squid Game kind of took a page out of that book with that ridiculous costume with the Teletubby guys with the shapes on their face. You might be right, actually. Like, like it's about the mystery. Yeah, that's the it. intrigue. It's like, oh, what's this weird costume? I gotta watch this, and then you get sucked into it. But if it weren't for that, like, it's just a bunch of like. So red... is that the secret? Is that it? I think is it, it is. I is think... that... Are we really just that stupid? I think we are. Audience. I think we are. I, I really because I don't. Th- I don't. I just don't see Squid Game working as a viral thing without that. Without the costumes. As yeah. stupid as it is. You might be right. So ultimately, like, we hated Squid Game. And and I, I don't like I don't know if it's worth watching. I mean, like like you said, like if you just find yourself like alone for a few days, you can bust it out pretty quickly. Yeah. And even then though, I think there are better ones out there. In fact, I watched Midnight Mass. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like stellar, but it was definitely better than Squid Game. It was pretty freaking interesting. It's about like this group of people on an island that have this preacher that comes to them and like starts performing these miracles but then like things get like weird and people are kind of wondering like what's going on that one i won't spoil because i actually respect that one a little bit more (laughs) yeah well i I will say that i did binge squid game pretty hard and i think part of it had to do with i had covid i had nothing else better to do but i haven't i can't remember the last time i binged something that hard like that successively like where i was done with it like in two days um so maybe there's something to it that just the entertainment factor or they suck you into just wanting to know what happens because there's some shows like that i feel like lost is kind of that way it's kind of a character show where the plot ends up becoming ridiculous when you try to think about it too hard but, but i wasn't invested in the characters that's fine in lost or in this no a squid game it's i never really watched lost yeah. either though but when i figured out that the lost monster in the middle was a smoke cloud of smoke i was like yeah i'm out on this yeah, but they, I think I understand they, it was more nuanced than that ultimately. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of. <laughs> I was just like, when that was the big reveal, I was like expecting like a Godzilla thing, and I'm like, that's that's it, okay? Because yeah. it's like legitimately destroying these people. Yeah, I, I liked Lost, but it, the plot is like ridiculous. And Squid Game, the plot was totally ridiculous too. I mean, there were just so many unnecessary elements to the plot, like the whole side plot where some of the triangle guys were 
who are like selling you know the dead people's organs but then they never really tied that into anything it just kind of like oh they just killed all those guys and moved on with the plot it's like okay that was kind of an unnecessary detour there yeah totally and now they're making a sequel which that's the part where i'm like really they're gonna try and get away with this because the ending is the protagonist who with with red or pink hair now he's going back (laughs) is is like about to get on a plane to go to the u.s to see his daughter because now he actually has money to be involved in her life because that's all that matters. Exactly. Yeah. Almost gets on the plane, but then sees that the squid game is still happening. And he still even then gets on the plane almost. And then decides like to call the number he sees on the card because he sees that salesman guy again trying to convince somebody else to come to the squid game at like the airport terminal. And then grabs the card from the guy, calls the number, and the person on the other end of the line, for whatever reason, knows who it is. And says you don't like you're not gonna want to do like get involved, do yourself a favor and don't get involved or something like that. And so he even then walks forward a little bit more towards the plane while he's on the freaking what is that thing called the the terminal. tunnel the terminal the tarmac the tarmac yeah he's on the tarmac and um no the tarmac's the actual where the plane lands but you know what, jetway the, the jetway, jetway that's yeah. it where fell L- off the jetway Lloyd again. Christmas <laughs> the thing Lloyd Christmas fell off of. um he's on the jetway. And then he like he almost gets on the plane and then decides to turn around and go back and you're like oh he's gonna take out the Squid Game again, yeah. um, and you're just like this is stupid I'm not watching this again I'm not like there's no chance. Well, they're just gonna bring back the same stupid recipe and they're gonna oh, they're gonna be different games now and the 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 Teletubby guys are gonna have different shapes and different colored jackets. That's true. I guarantee you they're gonna expand beyond triangle, circle, and what was the other? And squares. Squares. Yeah, I think that I think they they kind of developed a hierarchy. It was like the circles were like the the low guys and then the triangles were above them and then the squares were like the top guys. Mm. But they're probably going to bring in some stars or some uh, some parallelograms. Yeah. You know, some of that stuff and that's going to get a whole nother level. Of crazy. Yeah, there's a police detective too that like tries to expose everything, but he's not acting undercover, so he acts as like one of the guys. Like he puts on the one of the costumes, so obviously they don't know who he is. They think he's just one of them, and then he almost gets away. But then they track him down to an island, and he's trying to make a call to expose everything. And the mess and the pictures that he has won't send. And then the big reveal there too is that the the like second in command that's basically like you think is kind of running the show the whole time, not the old man, but like the one that's like he's like the Darth Vader of squid game turns out to be this detective's brother yeah and you're kind of like okay why <laughs> like yeah. Ooh, it's no back because no backstory there it's all connected yeah i didn't know south korea was so small but anyway yeah well and then uh i, I felt like I, actually i felt like that character was entirely like a, a copy of kylo ren from star wars he kind of had like the same type of mask and the same like personality same cape same voice definitely the same cape like shape yeah yeah it, it, it just seemed like a, they, they just kind of looked around at a bunch of shows and kind of stole little elements of those With, shows. I never understood why Kylo Ren sometimes had his helmet on and sometimes didn't. Until I realized, like, oh, it's Hollywood. Like, Adam Driver wants to be seen. Yeah. Like, Adam Driver... Well, okay, and I'm not saying Adam Driver specifically made that demand, but I'm sure in order to sell the part to somebody of with any chops, with any, like... Because if it's gonna... If you're not gonna show the face at all, you don't need any... Just any actor, right? Um, but if you want to get Adam Driver, that's why that's why they sh- were like very inconsistent with even showing who Adam Driver like him without the helmet and with it sometimes. I'm sure there's some Star Wars nerds out there like squirming right now because <laughs> we don't know why. There's probably yeah. some force reason why he yeah. sometimes wears the helmet and sometimes doesn't. Well, I was never really a big Han Potter fan anyway. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm I, I was a I was a fan of the original Star Wars like the old ones, 
But once they started coming up with all the new stuff, I, I kind of jumped off that wagon with all the Disney involvement of it and kind of became cringe and PC and all that. So Yeah, Han Potter and Harry Solo. Like, I just was never really into those, those stories. Yeah, no, it didn't really grab my attention either. How are you not getting my joke? Oh, the, uh, I, I must not know Star Wars very well. What, <laughs> is it Harry Potter? Or it's is Harry Potter and uh, Han Solo. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I thought Potter was like legitimately a Star Wars guy or something. Okay, for the next and final segment of today's episode, we have a very special story that we want to share on this podcast. And this is something that Chase has shared for many years now, ever since his mission, which is relevant, and you'll see why soon. Um, and I figure why not document it? It's a pretty scary story. It's definitely creepy, and it really happened to him. But... Pay attention, sit back, and time to get spooked because tis the season. Yeah, get yourselves in a dark room and turn off the lights. <laughs> well, the lights are already off if it's dark. So anyway, so this story takes place in Argentina. That's where I served my mission. Um, this was about, this would have been in the year about 2008. And um, I was in the Buenos Aires province on the southern half of this. And uh, so anyone familiar with missions know that every six weeks, at least that's how I was on my mission, you have transfers. And I was about a year into my mission, and uh, transfers came along, and they shipped me off to on the about eight hours away on a bus ride. So I take this bus ride and arrive at the, the bus terminal around uh, three in the morning, and my new companion was there waiting for me. And it turned out that our house was about a block or two away from the terminal, so we just walked home. And on the way home, we're carrying our suitcases, and we get out um, in front of our house. And as we're walking into the house, I look across the street, and there's this guy standing, like, at the edge of his lawn, just staring at us. And he wasn't saying anything. And I figured that we probably woke him up with our suitcases. So I look over and, like, apologize and say hola to him and doesn't respond back. And nothing doesn't say anything. So we go inside the house, and I'm like, oh, what's up with the neighbor guy? Is he, like, not like us or something? And he's like, oh, dude, that guy is, like, a legend in this house like he's been here as long as the missionaries can remember and he's never talked to any of them like anytime any missionary tries to talk to this guy he'll just look right through them and act like they're not even there and just like stand there motionless like a psycho and uh so i was intrigued by this guy and i was like oh maybe i'll be the guy to like break through to him or whatever this is actually somewhat of an allegory of your dating life maybe yeah 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 never thought about that (laughs) i always want the the person I can't get. Exactly. Kind of thing. So anyway, so this guy uh, emerged a few different times over the next month or so. I think I saw him once in the grocery store, saw him out in front of his house a couple of times. And each time I tried to say hi to him and be friendly, but once again, he just kind of gave me the, the stone cold nothing face and uh, just looked right through me. And this, so then uh, probably, I mean, I'm kind of guessing the timeline here. It's been a while, but I think another month goes by where I didn't see this guy at all. And about after that month, we were eating lunch at some member's house, and they had this little TV in the corner, and the news was on, and a story came up, and they were talking about a dead body they found um, pretty far outside of town near these mountains at the bottom of some cliffs, and uh, they were talking about this person they found in, like, under, like, mysterious circumstances, and anyway, they show a picture, like, having identified the body, and the picture they brought up was actually the neighbor from across the street. It turned out he was dead. And uh, so that was kind of, like, unsettling and weird, just, like, knowing this guy was kind of a creepy dude, and now he was dead and, like, under these weird circumstances. So anyway, um, some time goes by from there, probably a month or two, 
And not too long after that, uh, we see a for rent sign go up outside of the neighbor's house. Se renta. <laughs> and uh, we, like, the first couple times we walked by, we just kind of joked, like, oh, it'd be kind of funny to, like, move into his house. Because we, we actually had, like, an ant infestation in our house and kind of had a problem with that. And uh, we were kind of looking to move out because it was kind of just a crappy house and whatever. And uh, so we started joking about, like, oh, we should, like, look into moving into the dead guy's house. And pretty soon that joke became like, no, for real, let's really do this. And so eventually we get permission and we, we make a deal with our landlord to like move out and we, we get into this house. So anyway, the first day we, we move into this guy's house, all of his stuff is still like exactly how we left it, basically. I think they moved one or two things, but for the most part, it was all there. So we took a day and we went through the house and removed all of his belongings and just shoved him back in a closet in the back of the house. And... We move in. And I remember feeling kind of uneasy there, like for obvious reasons. And I figured it was just like my mind kind of playing tricks on me because we were living in some creepy dead guy's house. And the context of it was weird. But we, I, I got over it and we, I kind of got used to it over the next week or so. And then about a week into living there, uh, one day I'm taking a shower. Uh, and and uh, I remember like, so Argentina had like, at least in my experience there, there was like a lot of spiders there. And I, I had a couple of experiences where I had spiders fall on me while I was taking a shower. So I kind of became paranoid before I would take a shower. I'd kind of do like a spot check, make sure there's no spiders ready to pounce on me. And I remember looking over at the wall right next to the shower and there was a vent on the wall, like kind of the corner of it was like turned open a little bit. Like it looked like there was a little gap in there and I just pictured like some Lord of the Rings spider living inside of that thing and coming out while I was washing my hair. So I like before I washed my hair, I reached over and tried to bend the vent shut. And as I did that, the whole vent popped out onto the floor. So I finished showering and I get up to put the vent back in place. And right before I do, I like look back there and I see something tucked away, like way deep in there. And so I reach into the vent and pull out this shoe box. And uh, really weird. I'm like, oh great, what am I gonna find in here in this creepy guy's vent? Like who knows what's in here? And I open it up and it looks like a little filing cabinet. There's like little tabs with names scribbled on there and it looks like it's full of all these like photos or files or something and, it, and the, the box goes all the way to the back. There's probably like a thousand photos in this box. And uh, I start flipping through them and I start noticing the names are like American names like Johnson or like, I don't know, like just names that you wouldn't see in Argentina. And I, I flip to the back and because I immediately think like, well, are these like missionaries names or something? And I flip to the back and I see my name in there. But anyway, I start flipping through these files, and it turns out these are all photographs of the missionaries, but not like with them, like a group picture kind of thing. And they are like stalker pictures of the missionaries. And most of them were like missionaries coming and going from their house from across the street. Um, and you would just see like uh, them emerging from the house or them getting home at night. Sometimes like some of the photos were following from a distance in the street. Um, anyway, like it occurs to me after flipping through this for a second that, you know, my file probably has some photos as well. So I flip over to the back and it had my name and my companion's name on it, which is weird because there's only a couple of opportunities. He could have even seen my name tag, but apparently he knew it at some point. And I get to the back and there's like seven or eight photos in our file. And then they are, a lot of them are pretty much the same as the others, like just us coming and going from the house. Uh, but then there's one photo at the end and it kind of looked like a bad exposure. Like back when we used to, back in the day when everyone got like their film developed at Costco and stuff, like there would always be like one or two in the batch that just looked like a bad exposure. And so I tossed that one aside and uh, it, like it was on the table. And at this point I'm out in the kitchen talking to my companion and we're like freaking out like <laughs> at this treasure trove of like stalker photos we just found. 
And at this point, we're like, well, we need to call the mission president and, like, let him know what we just found. And so I start dialing the phone, and while the phone's ringing, like, I, I, I look over and I see my companion just, like, pointing at the photo that I threw on the table. It's, like, the bad exposure one. And he's just, like, mouthing something, and I'm like, dude, what's up? And then the mission president answers the phone, like, right then. So I'm, like, trying to talk to both of them at the same time, but then I'm able to, like, get my companion to, like, explain what he sees, and he points out, like, dude, that's us sleeping in our beds. And he's pointing at the photo on the table there. And I look closer, and sure enough, it's a photo, like, from standing right above us of our two twin beds next to each other, and it's us sleeping in our beds in our old house. So at this point, we're just freaking out. So I tell the whole story to the mission president, start to beginning, or beginning to end. And he basically tells us, like, you guys, t- starting tomorrow morning, you need to get out of that house. Like, call the police, and they need to investigate what the heck this guy was up to. In the meantime, I don't feel comfortable with you guys living in that house with, like, the presence that could be in there. So anyway, we move it back into our old house, and uh, everything goes back to normal to some extent. Um, we... We actually had a, um, forgot to tell this part of the story, we had a cop in our ward, and he, um, he kind of gave us some background before we moved into that house that this, the reason this house went up for rent is this, uh, this guy apparently like, didn't have any family or anything, so when he died, like, the state took over his house, and they auctioned it off, and someone was renting it out. So he kind of had some background on that. But anyway, the cop in the ward, he uh, pulled me aside one day, um, later on down the road when you know when I was about to leave the area and we were at church and he's he said basically when they started investigating this house they started finding all kinds of like creepy devil worshipy stuff in his house like weird like journals he would keep about like the missionary schedule and like weird like satanic stuff and like weird like spells and all I don't know what kind all kinds of weird stuff he had in there but around the before this happened I remembered one night I was I was laying in bed and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had a flashback to around the time that this all this had happened. And what the flashback really was was uh, uh, waking up to a flash of light in the middle of the night. And at the time, believing that it was like a, a flash of lightning or a car driving by. But at the time I when this happened, I remember waking up, looking out the window, no cars, clear sky at night. And I was about to go to back to bed at that point, but then there was like this breeze in the room. And I figured my companion had left the window open, so I go shut the window, get back into bed. And it's when I had this flashback that I realized that that flash of light that occurred, that was probably when the guy took the picture of us. And when I went and closed the window, got back in bed, he was definitely still in the room just watching us. Um, so anyway, at the end of this investigation, the cop told me that he thinks what this guy's plan was, and I don't know if I believe this, but... He thinks what this guy's plan was, was he was stalking the missionaries all these years and he had some plan to sacrifice the missionaries. But for whatever reason, when either because I woke up when he took the picture or because he couldn't get himself to do it, he went and uh, jumped off the cliff instead outside of town. And that and that's kind of how the story ends. I mean, I guess I have to figure out whether I almost got murdered or whether there was just a creepy guy taking pictures of me in the night. I just have one question for you. Did he spell your last name right? I think so. Yeah, no, there's actually, no so, way. Well, Bar- 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 Bartolome. Well, actually, I actually made a special name tag that had my name in Spanish. It was like Bartolome. Oh, really? Yeah, and, I, and that's probably that the one I had at easier. the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. All right, that was going to be the one hole I was going to send the story. My, other than that, the veracity of this story checks out, man. <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> no, mean, in all seriousness, that is that is about as creepy as it gets. There's a ton of creepy mission stories out there. I never really had any experience with any creepy stories yeah. at all. Well, it's weird because this story has spread so much now that, like, 
I, I was out in Arizona for a time in my life, and pe- I would hear people tell me my story in Arizona. As like, if it had happened in their mission? Yeah. No, like they just heard oh, about just some heard missionary it. this happened to. And it's my story that somehow has spread that far. Like it's spread across <laughs> state lines without me of being course. the one to spread yeah. it. And, and now it's made it all the way to this podcast. And somebody else is going to hear this and be like, well, that is a rip off of my story. That happened to me. Yeah. No, <laughs> someone else has probably inherited this story at some point. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, now we just don't know who the true true storyteller is here, I guess. Yeah, maybe I got it from the other you guy. You probably got it from someone else. No, it's kind of cool, though. Back to like just I hear p- plenty of other stories thrown out there on the mission and just like creepy things happening and whatever and in the mtc too i never once had anything weird happen um not sure why but i do remember reading my patriarchal blessing not too long ago and it specifically talks about my mission and it says um follow the promptings of the spirits so that you'll be protected on your mission so it's kind of cool to think like there were times when i may have not even known that i was following the spirit but whatever i did i did right and i didn't the, there was no negative outcome from that, I guess. Well, you were probably too righteous to have any of this kind of stuff happen to you. Well, of course. That goes without saying. But outside of that, I actually <laughs> do remember one time when we were trying to... Uh, well, there was a hurricane coming, hitting the peninsula. And um, we got the call last minute. It was after 9 p.m. but we were And we were already like winding down. And the hurricane was supposed to hit us like the next day. And we were in a fairly like remote pretty inland area so i mean like we were kind of nervous because we don't know like crazy hurricanes get or whatever and it was supposed to be category four and it was it did hit as a category four but um we had uh been told by the zone leaders to pack up everything and get to get to the zone leaders house asap and it was already like 9 30 and so we just threw a bunch of stuff in a suitcase and just booked it and there were no buses coming i mean everything was on lockdown because of the hurricane and normally where you'd sit for a bus and like people were saying like oh yeah there should be buses coming i mean there hasn't been one for a while but there should be they've been coming and like i didn't really have a whole lot of faith in that and no joke for whatever reason and of course it was the spirit i was i told my companion i was like let's go stand over there and no joke it was across the street on a different corner that had no like cars would go by it but almost nobody had cars we were in a tiny little town a tiny little branch total members of the church and that branch there were probably four of them that had cars and we go to an opposite corner where there is never any rides. But for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe I just like the view from there. And minutes after we had gone there, there was a member of the church with a truck. And I think it was the only member of the church in that area with a truck who passes us by. And he's like, oh, he's like, what's going on, elders? And we're like, wait, can you take us to, to cool as like now? And he's like, nah, I don't really have gas. And I was like, well, we'll pay. I was like, we'll pay you whatever. Like, seriously, we were told, like, we'll just get reimbursed. And he's like, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we just threw our stuff in the back. We got in back, and he booked it 30 minutes to their zone leader's house, and then he came back on his own. So that was, like, one of the times when I can look back and be like, well, the spirit definitely got him in there. With that said, I mean, I don't mean to downplay or undermine the spirit per se, but... I don't really think we were in like this crazy situation, dire straits where it's like we could be screwed if we don't get out of here. I mean, there was like threats of a nasty hurricane, but it hit hard and then it dissipated pretty quickly after like it hit the coast, one of the coastal towns in our mission pretty hard. But other than that, like I feel like I was prompted by the spirit because I had no reason to be on that corner, but I didn't really feel like there was like a huge 
ramifications had we not. So I don't know. Maybe Satan just lost his motivation to make the hurricane big once you guys got out of there. So That's most likely the case. <laughs> I would agree. That's crazy, though. Didn't you have another, like, kind of quick tidbit story of oh, the yeah, MTC? Yeah. Yeah. This one was crazy. Well, this, or, was the, this, this was in the mission as well. So so this this happened towards the end. And uh, I had a buddy of mine was a football player for Weber State. And he uh, he was actually, like, kind of a famous Utah high school football player. But anyway, so is that working? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so this this one's from uh, towards the end of my mission. Um, I had a buddy that I was companions with multiple times throughout the mission. Probably my closest friend during the mission where we really got to know each other well. And uh, at the end of our mission, we were actually just living in the same house, but weren't companions. And uh, he was one of those guys, like, there's always those legends going around the mission, like, oh, this house is definitely haunted, and they had to bless the house, and there was stuff floating around the house. And, like, <laughs> he was always the one that's like, yeah, that's BS, I don't believe any of that stuff. And, like, he was very skeptical about anything like that. And he wasn't, like, a tall tale guy. Like, he, would, he didn't joke around, make up stories, like... And he looks, like, terrified, like he had just seen, like, some terrifying thing he's never seen before. And he pulls me aside. He's like, dude, like, I haven't told anyone about this yet, but I don't know who to talk to. Like, I feel like I know you the best. He's like, last night, like, that's a really weird happen. And he, so he goes into this story, and he says that he's in the bunk bed, and he's on the bottom bunk. And he woke up at some point in the middle of the night, and he just has a feeling like someone's watching him, but he doesn't, like, see anyone at first. But he's, like, facing the wall. So then he turns around in bed, and he looks up, and there's a, a tall figure, like a just a silhouette of a person, standing and leaning against the bunk bed just staring down at him just not moving he can't see any eyes or any facial features he just sees a silhouette and he just has this super dark presence like feeling in his mind like just like the worst feeling he's ever had in his life and he just freezes and he doesn't know what to do he can't even talk can't even say anything so he turns around in bed and just lays awake at night lays awake all night looking in at the other direction just praying and just hoping this thing will go away whatever it is so he tells me about this <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I, I've never believed someone more about, like, a story like this. Like, he was absolutely sincere when he told me this, and I genuinely believe it happened. And after he told me this, so I slept, I, there was this house of, like, ten missionaries in it, and my, my room was literally just, like, the living room, and I had a mattress on the ground, and there was, like, three different corridors, like, emerging from this, from this uh, living room. And it was just, like, it started messing with my head so much, because every night I'd go to bed, and I'd look into these dark corridors expecting this figure to emerge in the middle of the night and I didn't sleep for probably two or three weeks or if I did it was like hardly anything uh, I was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life I mean I believed him that much I was just absolutely terrified that this presence was going to come get me yeah it's I mean there are plenty of stories out there with missionaries like in yeah. the empty I feel like it happens in the MTC a lot from people I've talked to that don't have any motivation to tell something that's just completely false like one of my good companions he's a guy I still keep in touch with here and there uh, told me not too long ago, actually, and he's one of the few that I'm still pretty close with, but, I mean, it's relative. We hardly talk, but, <laughs> but we still get along really well. And uh, he was saying how one time they were in their room in the MTC and just someone was in the middle of telling a story, just like whatever, like shenanigans you talk about in the MTC before you go to bed. And all of a sudden he stopped and it was just like everybody in that moment in the room just like had this terrible feeling come over them they just felt awful like they just felt bad like they're just like it was like this i mean the only way of putting it is like this dark spirit and at one point one of the elders who served in our mission as well um got up and said like like by the like commanded satan to leave basically and uh then they're fine 
but he he stands by. I mean, it's like that same thing where it's like yeah. I wasn't there, so like it's easy for people hearing me say this story, just reject it wholesale. I get that, but I trust this guy. Like this guy's not he's not um, he's not invested in just kind of like telling these crazy tales. If it means anything, he's actually a bishop now. Yeah. And I was just hearing that, I'm like, yeah, it's like you hear stories like that all the time. Never happened to me. I, I'm not gonna like. I'm not, I wasn't ever looking for it, quite frankly. And I'm not saying these guys were, but I I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. It never happened to me. I'm actually glad and grateful it didn't yeah. because these would be feelings I feel like that you could kind of conjure up whenever you thought about it again. Yeah, no, I I, I do think that for whatever reason, missionaries have like a thinner veil compared to everyone else. I think that maybe helps them like portray the spirit to a lot of people but in a lot of ways it maybe makes them more vulnerable to yeah. some of the evil influences that i can see that that the inverse is just as true yeah yeah that you know what that might be one of the best arguments i've heard i mean not that anybody's ever really ever given an explanation as to why but that kind of seems as good as any that yeah these guys are set apart from the world to access the spirit in ways that can be really profound for some people that are all new to it but on the flip side that makes it so they're accessible yeah. by, the, by the dark spirits or whatever. Oh, absolutely. I, I, some of the darkest experiences I've had in my life all happened during those two years. And there were, I mean, a lot of people talk about sleep paralysis. I had some really, really freaky sleep paralysis experiences where I would feel, I mean, basically it would happen every few nights or so for a while where I would feel this really deep pressure in like the side of my rib. And it would just push and push to the point where like, and I, I felt totally conscious during this, and I couldn't move, couldn't speak. Um, and then I, it almost developed into this thing where eventually there was a couple of times where it felt like I was, like, floating in bed and spinning. I don't think I was physically doing that, but it felt like I was. It was really disturbing and creepy, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to tell about it because I had never heard of sleep paralysis before, and it was, it was really disturbing. And that only happened during my mission, so I don't know how to account for that. Yeah, I don't know. I just remember a couple nightmares as a kid, but I think every kid has nightmares, and I didn't feel like any of mine were particularly diabolical. I just remember, like, not being able to make noises. It kind of felt like a type of paralysis. Yeah. It's like where you're in a dream and you can't scream for whatever mm -hmm. reason. I don't know if that's – that's probably not at all related yeah. to sleep paralysis. Yeah, but. and the thing is, I don't know if I can attribute this to sleep paralysis because I've had, like, what I would call sleep paralysis outside of the mission, but this was, like – deeper and more intense and it felt like there was more of a a presence there that i've been in other occasions so I, I don't know it's creepy stuff man i think mission missions are weird places and weird stuff happens dang yeah well this has been a hell of a hot tub sesh man i'll tell you what <laughs> we'll have to do this at least seven times a year now yeah we'll make it a regular we'll even give it its own name maybe the hot tub confessions <laughs> thank you chaser appreciate your time man everything's changing my mind goes to a different time old love i remember falling so madly there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night because i could Fade right out of you If it takes time I, I, If it takes time I